0: Continuing tonight, New Part 3 in Revelation 21, but first in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 8 through 9, that which was told from of old. I am the Lord, and that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things. I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. You cannot talk about the Gospel of Jesus Christ without without talking about the place where it is going. It is not sufficient to talk about the Gospel as being sufficient only for today. It's something much greater than that. And so, with great anticipation, the people of God look forward to the consummation of what has been promised to us not because of our own merit, but because of the merit of Christ Jesus. Man, The more I study, especially the end portion of the revelation, the more I'm convinced, and this is always the case to some degree, But the more I'm convinced that it is a particular passage of text where the exegetical analysis is there not primarily to understand the nuts and the bolts of the way that God is working, but the hope to which He is moving us toward. And so here it is groom and a bride. And then I saw the new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the seed was no more. Now, if you want to talk about exegetical analysis, what the exegetical analysis would tell us at that point is we're now dealing with something that we completely do not understand. We do not understand Physically, biologically, from, from thermodynamics, how this place can even exist without an ocean, and yet here it is. What you're dealing with is something new. It is something different. It is as far beyond what we understand now as an angel is from what we are now. It's a. It's more than that actually it's a different ball game with new rules it's a place where the physical doesn't just testify to the spiritual it is the actual manifestation of the spiritual reality I saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, literally the the tabernacling of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God and He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, any more for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The last time that statement came from the mouth of God was in John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In the future, he will say it again. Revelation chapter 16, verse 17. He speaks the end of the wrath upon Babylon when it says that the seventh angel poured out his bowl in the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And as much as the people of God, I pray me and you certainly in Revelation Chapter 5, the saints under the throne pleading with the Lord for the vindication of their blood that has been spilled upon the earth. Certainly the people of God long for the day when His justice will be fulfilled, but there's a day they long for more than that. They long for the day of His justice being fulfilled, but they long for the day of the consummation where the bride and the bridegroom are finally together in the fullness of in the fullness of that reality. Today, as a matter of fact, I said this wasn't primarily about analysis, but we should probably stop here for just a moment and consider the, the deeper nuance of the text. We translate it into the English that he says, it is done. But the reality is is we've done that with English translations to make the Greek more palatable for the Western ear. The Greek pronoun here is not singular. It's plural. What he's really saying is they are done. The whole collective of all of the things that he is purposing in The gospel from the point of creation where he created the heavens and the earth, from 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 the point that Satan said, I'm going to rebel, in all of the things that he has been doing, he says, Okay, they're done. Wrap it up. Put a bow on it. It's complete. We're going to be honest with ourselves, there is a now and a not yet in the new creation while we look forward with great anticipation to this day that is to come, we would sell the gospel of Jesus Christ very short if we did not recognize that this reality to some degree is in our presence at this moment. And guys, that's what we're doing here. This is the expression at a very local level in a very temporal moment of the actual body of Christ. There's a reality to this now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and verse 12, Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And now in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Now, if we're going to appreciate the, the now, I think we have to also look first at the not yet. So, just tonight, and over the course of the last couple of weeks and the last couple of months, as people have poured their heart out for, for Susie, and we've seen what the Lord has done, as people have been pouring their heart out for Mike over the last couple of days, over Francis for the last week and a half, Man, what we know is that the most brilliant minds in the medical business today know just enough to know they know a drop in the ocean about the way that you and I are put together. We practice medicine. We don't have a clue what we're toying with. Well, we toy with it like we're awfully brave and intelligent, though. But we really don't have a clue what we're playing with. For the first time, reportedly, in the last couple of months, they have produced a nuclear uh, fusion reaction that had a net positive gain without having to set off a hydrogen bomb to do it. You take two atoms, shove them together, they become one. A little bit of the mass decreases and massive energy is let off. We don't understand a thing about it. Einstein wrote E equals... MC squared on a board and everybody shook their head but it was just all it was was gazing at what already existed and being able to describe one facet of it. And so Paul says it like this. Paul says that today we do see. We do see. Praise God man, we see. But we see in the mirror dimly. And he says in that day I will fully know the way to the same degree that God has known me. Now we, we look at what Christ said about not a sparrow falls from the sky without the Lord's consent that every single hair on your head is numbered which is crazy because nobody in this room has the same count of hair on their head now as when they walked in the door. And yet He knows it To the one. And he says, in that day, I will know to the same degree as I have been known. What an incredible statement. They are finished. I make all things new. And here's what's so incredible about it. The thing that he's making that's new is not simply a a cog that you place in a a machine. It's it's, it's not the necessary predator or the necessary bacteria or the necessary star to provide the necessary gravity in this big contraption in which we all exist. When He makes all things new, He's making all things new so that He can bring a bride to Himself. How cool is that? The fact that the Lord would go to this extent in order to put you, something that was spoken into existence out of nothing, to put you in a position where you could be called both child and bride. The mind of God's an amazing thing It is overshadowed by the heart of God. If I'm going to be really honestly, I don't know that you can separate the two. So when we consider the not yet and the weight of glory that is there, then then my prayer for us here at Mount Zion is that will inform the now. That seeing this glimpse of what is out there and to come, of which we don't see clearly, but one day will. But the little bit that we do see my prayer that for me, for Sarah, for all of us, that that thing and that weight of glory will inform the way we understand who we are and who he is at this moment. We wait with great anticipation for the fullness of the consummation. Peter said it like this, and this was a guy that got to see the the, the, the humbling of Christ rolled back for a moment and the and the shining of His glory. Here's what Peter said about Him. He said, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter saw a glimpse. And interestingly enough, Peter said that having seen that glimpse, that uh, he thought that the Word of God itself was more sure than what he had seen. He longed for what was to come. The New Jerusalem, the capital of the new creation, descending from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. Jesus spoke about what this day would look like. Matthew chapter 25. Because we all lean heavily on Matthew chapter 24, and well we should, but Mark would be quick to tell you if you cut out 25, you've missed half the game. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 1, Jesus speaks about it like this. And I think, if I may, I know I've been leaning pastorally pretty hard on some stuff, both this morning and tonight, but I think if I may, um, let's not hear what Christ is saying here the way I think. We typically... I don't know if you're like me or not. I hear the narration in my... I'm one of those guys they say are slow readers because I hear the words in my head. They say people that are fast readers don't do that. But I do. Mm-hmm. I hear the, the voice narrate in my head. And, and I think that most of us approach what is being said when Jesus begins to speak in parables as kind of like this this dry teacher that's, that, that's, you know, He's going to tell you the, the story that has the moral, right? And if what is being said about the nature of the bride is true, then what Jesus is speaking in chapter 25 is not a dry story that has a moral. It is His heart that is longing for the fullness of what is to come with His bride. <laughs> The kingdom of heaven will be like... What a profound statement. The kingdom of heaven is going to be like this. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom, five of whom were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. And the bridegroom was delayed, and they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. then those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And after the other virgins came also, saying, "Lord, Lord, open to us." But he answered truly, "I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour." Paul in Ephesians chapter five would say, "Husbands, love your wives." Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. This mystery is great. And I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. We look at the parable of the bride and the bridegroom. And we look at these virgins that were wise and these other virgins that were foolish. And some had taken care of business, they had been focused, they had sacrificed, they had done what they needed to do to be prepared. Didn't just polish their lamp, trim their wicks, kept them full. They were ready. And we look at that and go, okay, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It brings these in. And the fact that they're being brought in is the thing that causes them to do the things that allow them to be prepared. And I think that is excellent application. But the full reality is this. In the fullness of that day, in the fullness of that day, While all of that is true, in the fullness of that day, we won't be part of the wedding party. We will be the bride. (coughs) And that is a better place to be. We're not just along for the ride. We're not just there to bear witness to the events. Even though you will definitely be along for a ride and you will bear witness to some events. This is... I didn't mean, come from the dogs. Let there be sheep. This is God bringing His people to Himself. In a in a way that is so intimate, this is probably more of a Jamie Freeman sermon than it is a Brian Williams sermon. In a way that is so intimate that today it's like looking in a greasy mirror compared to what is coming. And so, what you see next is an incredible description incredible description and I believe every word of it I've done all the math but I don't really think the point is to talk about how long 12,000 stadia is I think the point is the spectacle that the Lord accomplishes for his beloved and it is a spectacle indeed. Then came one of the seven angels in verse 9 who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues and he spoke to me saying come and I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. Notice once again you cannot separate judgment from salvation. Can't do it. Everywhere in Scripture from beginning to end. You want salvation? You have to have judgment. You know why? We've said it a million times. We'll say it again. Because if you're going to be saved, there has to be something to be saved from. And so here is one of these angels that just a moment ago was dumping out the worst plagues that would ever come on creation. I will show you the bride. The wife of the Lamb. And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. And it had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates, twelve angels. Very different, if you want to reference once again, judgment and salvation, a very different application of angels standing guard than what we see in Genesis chapter 3. Where there, they kept men from the tree of life and it was grace that they did. Here, they stand to guard that which is precious to him. On the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. <clears throat> the city lies four square, its length is the same as its width. He measured the city with His rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and its width and its height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of... Okay, if I may digress for just a moment. Is it not somewhat fascinating to you? And does it not speak A whole lot about intentional design that the measuring standard for an angel and the measuring standard for a man are the same and if I could you know kitchen talk for a minute I would say that the reason they're the same is not by happenstance but because God said that's what a cubit is and all the creation went okay the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, Cairo praise, pink think, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, and each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by night. And there will, by day, and there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Such is a glimpse of the fullness of the promise that is made to the people of God. The Gospel is not an offer to change your designation. The Gospel is the power to change the nature of your being. It flows directly from the heart of a God who desires to bring His people to Himself. And that is exactly what He will do. And today we see it in a dirty mirror. But in that day, we will know it in the same way He knows us.